Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Ray, and welcome to the RayWenderlich.com podcast. In this podcast, we'll keep you up to date with the latest app development tech talk. Now, here are your hosts, Drew Freeman and Susanna Skyer-Gupta. Thanks, Ray. This is the RayWenderlich.com podcast. Welcome to Episode 8 for Season 12. Now, this episode was recorded on Saturday, the 19th of February, 2022, for release in just a few days on the 23rd of February, 2022. Now, this episode is sponsored by Great High Paying iOS Jobs, by which we mean after you get one, remember who helped you come back and sponsor an episode. I'm your host, Drew Freeman, along with my co-host, Susanna Skyer-Gupta. Thanks, Drew. This episode will talk with Jeff Rains and Leah Marold Sonnenschein. Jeff is a longtime RayWenderlich.com author and editor who's worked in iOS development for companies of all sizes. He loves helping people get their start in tech and led the RW iOS bootcamp in 2020. Here at RayWenderlich.com, Leah has written and filmed video courses, tutorials, and worked on book projects. Out in the wider world of tech, she's worked in product management as well as iOS development and is now a founder at Journey, which we'll learn more about soon. Jeff and Leah, thank you and welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Our focus today is going to be on constructive advice on to how to get a job in iOS. And before we hit there, I know one of those wonderful ones is networking, which has been sort of our bane over the past two years now. How are you folks individually doing with, uh, with the pandemic and the lockdown? Uh, let's start, Jeff. Yeah, so as far as networking goes, it's, it's kind of interesting. I think it depends on the individual, but for me, I've actually been more involved, I think, in the community than uh, prior because of the fact that there's so many events now that are virtual, things like uh, iOS Dev Happy Hours, a, a monthly event that now, uh, you know, started at the beginning of the pandemic and gives people a chance to get together and, and a lot of conferences and meetups that have gone virtual. So in addition to the baseline stuff of, of chats like uh, the RW Discord and Twitter, uh, now there's also a lot of virtual events that I can go to without having to do any travel or you know added expenses. So uh, overall, yeah, for networking, it's it's been Pretty good, of course, different than in person, but uh, definitely more stuff available. Leah? Yeah, I think, you know, I'd have to agree with Jeff. It's been quite nice to uh, see all these different events pop up, to even host some of the uh, networking events uh, myself. But the, the nice thing about the whole thing is that now you get to network with a much wider <laughs> much wider possibility of people because before you were kind of limited to your physical surroundings so wherever you lived and now it's like oh globally I can network you know depending on the time zone uh, but I found that I've actually been more involved in terms of like making connections professional connections um, over the past couple of years during the pandemic and potentially even better connections um, that kind of stick because when you were in person, you know, you could meet people, uh, but then you still have to look them up on XYZ or you have to exchange some sort of form to connect later. And now that's like the first thing you do. And then you can just focus on the conversation with them. Like, can I get your details? Um, so, yeah, I think it's actually been quite good for networking in the professional sense. Yeah, I've been uh, attending Ray Fix's, uh, well, the flock of Swifts. 
is a, a swift sit-in in Los Angeles. I'm based in Pittsburgh, and as long as I can hit the time zone correctly, it's it's wonderful to uh, to talk to so many wonderful experts in, in Swift and, and the like. I thought that's a really interesting observation, Leah, too, that how the um, the conversation has flipped. And when you do the the like, let me get your details up front and then it's that's become normalized. So if that's an anxiety producing thing for you, that's OK, because now we all do that up front and that's cool, you know, and then you've got that precious thing and can can just talk. Jeff, I've got to ask you to reflect a little on the pandemic beyond the the huge positive of the online networking. I see you as a person who is very um, honest and open and real about parenting as a tech professional during this time. So how's it? Uh, so for folks who aren't following Jeff on Twitter, we'll share his handle later on. But um, he's a great voice if you're um, somebody with a family with school age kids like you're not the only person out there on Twitter. There are other people in tech like that. So how's it feeling now? Um, yeah, I mean, it's it, so it's been a roller coaster ride, of course, and, and it depends on the individual, uh, you know, what their circumstances are. I am super, fo- super fortunate uh, in that, you know, I have a job where I can work from home. Um, my wife also kind of works part time from home. And so uh, things like the fact that in 2020, our, our kids were doing remote learning or had the option to do remote learning. We were able to take advantage of that. Uh, it was definitely stressful. Uh, they they didn't. <laughs> it's not great for really young kids to be kind of pulled out of that situation where they get to socialize and um there was a lot of stress early on, you know, with that, that year. Uh, and then I'd say, you know, this year, uh, things have also been a little rocky because you have the situation now where kids are back in school for the most part. Uh, but depending on where you live, I live in Texas and uh, there's considerable pushback on trying to do like basic safety like requiring masks for instance so that's been a huge stress for me as the school year was starting and the and the fact that you know there was pretty high community spread and like hey a grade school is a great place to pass around germs right and so um there were some early scares where they you know uh one of the kids got sick with something and so we had to kind of like lock down our house and go into like a little bit mini emergency mode so it's been very stressful basically and you know as things uh wax and wane uh you always kind of are concerned about what's going on and have there's no real great guidance on how to manage things so um i yeah i definitely think if, if without this position of being able to like work from home just picturing someone who needs to go into the office and then all of a sudden their kid has to be home for a week or two uh the amount of stress there would just be just crazy uh so it's uh yeah it's been it's been difficult uh definitely an added uh added stress on top of everything else I think maybe that just speaks to the importance of having these remote opportunities and helping other people find the, you know, find the remote opportunities, the remote support, but also how you can set yourself up to have your livelihood be something you can log into and do um, from home where you can make a cup of tea or bring some soup if you need to, you know? 
Yep, absolutely. Uh, and that's that was kind of, I think, a little bit of what was behind when we did the the boot camp, uh, the RW boot camp in 2020, because we were looking at the fact that, I mean, not only was the pandemic going on, but like, yeah, there were, you know, impact, economic impacts and people were out of work. And the idea of being able to take somebody who was working in an office by necessity and maybe also out of work and, and sort of like set them up so they can have one of these awesome situations like uh, like the other, like iOS developers. And uh, it's just, uh, that, that was a, a really big motivator there and something I'd love to see more of. So we're gonna be talking about some specifics on how, how to get a job in this amazing field. What leads you guys, each of you, to be keen to like how did you gain expertise in seeking ios jobs and why do you why do you care about helping other people and that leah what what brings you to this topic um yeah i think you know for me it kind of all started back in college when i got spooked in i think my second year of college uh, by some of the seniors telling me like you're not gonna get a job unless you have an internship or unless you have a great resume unless you know how to interview and at that point i got into my head okay I need to get on my game. And so at that point, I started doing a lot of research for myself on how do you get into like programming jobs? What do you have to do? What do you have to say? What kind of internships are there that then open doors, etc.? How do you behave? Um, so there's a lot of these like tricks um, that you can do and practice interviewing. Like interviewing itself is this skill that you can't just I mean, it should be that you could just walk into an interview and just, you know, show your skill somehow, but it doesn't work that way. Um, similar with the SATs, I would say. Um, but it really started at that point, and then I um, understood that you had to do a lot of project-based work, so I started a group at my college called Grinnell AppDev, where we were making apps for the college, and the idea was that, like, you could join, and you would be learning as well as creating apps. So we would be training younger classmen, upperclassmen, we would be training younger classmen, uh, and it would be kind of like creating your portfolio for later down the line, as well as like we would practice for interviewing. Yeah, it, it was quite cool, and the college was really nice, um, Grinnell College, because they actually financially supported us, so they gave us $150,000 to run this as a pilot project for three years, where we were also able to pay the students to develop the apps because they were beneficial to the college. Um, so it was like a really awesome experience for me. Uh, and that's where I really started like understanding how you interview, how important it is to have certain, you know, ducks in a row before you can even apply, um, how to do networking and things like that. And um, yeah, that's where things started. And then I kept on being kind of involved in mentoring and helping people. Um, so I taught some classes at General Assembly for iOS, like a really prolonged boot camp. So one of the things that we did there was also prepare um, the students to interview and they were kind of ranging from different ages. So either like they were college students, but they were also up to like 50 years old. Um, 
And obviously, of course, as a as an interviewer myself, <laughs> uh, I've been part of you know putting together an interview process. I've been through many interviews, um, so I have a lot of opinions on <laughs> on the topic. Um, but yeah, there were you know what was really clear to me was that interviewing is a bit broken. Um, but even though it is a broken process, like at least if I can kind of like help people with the lessons that I've learned from going through the process and helping others do it, you know, at least I can help them get that leg up to navigate the process. Um, so during the pandemic, like similar time as uh, Jeff was running the boot camp, I think I did a session there as well. Um, but I also wrote an article called Navigating the iOS Interview. Um, so at that point, I really like delved into all of the bits and pieces and tried to consolidate everything into um, a long article with a lot of practical resources. Um, yeah. I find it interesting that obviously universities have internships for their students, but you don't see a lot of practical interviewing classes. And I've always wondered why why universities don't bother with that one, because it seems like it is it is as necessary as balancing a budget would be for K through 12. I would, I would actually say, like, yes, we did have this um, professional services um, department or something like that that was supposed to help us with, like, resumes, interviewing, etc. But I think that they're quite old-fashioned in the approach that they had. Like, they would tell you how to dress for your interview, and they would tell you, you know, to format your resume in a way that seemed, like, the most appropriate. But, like, what actually ends up working is, uh, you know, your resume needs to stand out in some way. They can't be just the same as everyone else. And probably sending a resume out there in the wild is not going to work. Like what's going to work is like you making personal connections or reaching to someone, uh, reaching out to someone um, your, yourself um, and making that connection happen. Like, you know, being on the side of people who um, see how a recruiter actually goes through resumes and what ends up before like a hiring manager, you see that it really doesn't work. For example, I had... Um, so my first job was uh, working as an iOS engineer at a company called Rent the Runway in New York. And oh wow, that was your first job? Yeah. <laughs> I'm so impressed with that job just because I think Rent the Runway is such an amazing concept. <laughs> so I always think of that when I think about you. So it was quite what cool. What a cool yeah. first gig. It was amazing. I'm really thankful for it. Um, yeah, definitely. Uh, but we were looking for. Um, we were looking for a senior iOS engineer at the time, and um, you know we weren't getting great candidates <laughs> through the pipeline. But then um, this uh, this girl reaches out to me on LinkedIn, uh, and she's like, "Hey, I just did this like Flatiron iOS bootcamp. Uh, I really love Venture Runway. It seems like you're doing iOS. I'd love to learn more." And I'm just like so surprised because I haven't seen many uh, women apply. And she wasn't really applying. She was just kind of like, you know, reaching out to see what it's like to be working on this. I was like, yeah, sure. You know, happy to chat. Um, I'm also like, generally, I consider myself a helpful person. If I can make the time, uh, I probably will. Um, so I reach out, uh, we have a chat. At the end, she like really nicely kind of asked like, hey, are you looking for anyone? And I'm like, sure, you know, I'm, I'd love to introduce you to my boss. 
Um, so we take her out to lunch after a couple of weeks, and we ended up hiring her. Um, you know, despite the so fact. So did she become the junior, and then became you became jun- the senior? She became a junior arts engineer. We just didn't really get a senior one at that point. Uh, we decided to delay that hire, but she was so impressive with like how fast she learned and how she approached things that we we're like, you know what? We believe that she can really grow very quickly here, tremendously, and the people we were seeing just didn't have that type of a character. So that was a very different approach, and like she would never have gotten in any other way because her resume just wouldn't have said like I can do iOS. Um, yeah, you know, I feel this is as much a t- a conversation about how like how you should dare to put yourself forward and and reach out as it is if you're a hiring manager listening, thinking about who might work great in your team. Because if somebody is a fast learner and is passionate about the product, that goes such a long way. So I want to I wanna step back for a second and learn more about why Jeff is keen to contribute to this conversation about his experiences in iOS job search and in hiring. Sure. Uh, yeah, so motivation-wise, I think it, you know, it, it really resonated with me when Drew was talking about the fact that you know, in, in college, they don't, they don't really give you any kind of course on how to prepare for interviews uh, and, and how to go about a job search. I do kind of remember having like this little maybe 10 page pamphlet that I was given that like Leah was saying, tells you how to dress and make sure you write a thank you note to your interviewers, things like that. Um, But I actually benefited quite a bit from the fact that my father was uh, an HR professional um, for his career. And so I I always had that that extra boost and the assistance of someone being able to tell me like how to write a resume and like the, the right ways to go about applying and how to engage with a recruiter. Granted, some of this was a little old school uh, because of his, his background and things like that. But I, I definitely had, I think like a head start on the, you know, the ways to go about it. Right. And so uh, between that and the fact that I got my, my career was pretty well established by the time um, the you know I- iOS jobs were uh, a thing, or by the time iOS existed, uh, I I had I think a little bit of an easier time getting in, uh, just because of timing and, and all of those advantages, and so uh, I think from my perspective, a lot of it is like well I. W- I tend to want to give back, right? And so I recognize, I, I can see how difficult it is uh, because of the fact that, especially, I mean, not only from my firsthand experiences, but the fact that I, I did the boot camp, but I also do a lot of other things like that, some of which comes about through, uh, you know, just being associated with uh, raywinderlich.com, but also some other orgs I volunteer with. So I work with a lot of people trying to get into tech and I can see how much struggle they go through, right? And you hear the stories about people submitting hundreds of resumes and getting like one or two calls back, right? And uh, and I, I know the... I don't always know exactly how to put myself in their shoes, but I've been trying more and more to do that. and. I, I want to basically take all the stuff that I know and the experiences I've had and be able to help 
get them through that painful thing because at the end of the day, I hate the job search thing, right? It's uh, nobody likes going through a tech interview. They're they're just brutal, and uh, and a job search in general, and trying to find something that is actually a, a job that you're going to enjoy is an even bigger challenge, possibly. So, uh, so it's something that just yeah is really top of mind in some way that I feel like I can directly give back and, and frankly like I get a lot of questions about it uh, people ask me to review their resume or um, ask them if this posting is something that's worth them pursuing and, and that type of thing so um, yeah I think it's just kind of all those things sort of drove my motivation towards wanting to help people out with uh, with job searches uh, and then I'm trying to remember what the rest of your, your question was Susanna Oh, I think that there's lots of places we can jump off from there. I was actually rather amused by you saying, you know, what is this job listing saying? Because inevitably, I think every iOS job listing says must have eight years of X code. And you all just sit there going, yes, I drive a car, must have gas. Thank you. Um, so let's let's talk about the resumes for a moment, because I think we've all said that they they need to stand out, but they need to also get into the proper hands. Uh, and these are two very different talents. Um, somebody once told me that to make a, a resume stand out, it depends on what the first six lines say and what the last six lines say. Uh, because somebody will flip, a, somebody will grab your resume, they'll look at it, they'll page to the very end and see what it says there. Um, and I know this because uh, my last couple of lines say available by request, salary benefit expectations, professional references, humorous anecdotes, and bad vocal impressions. And on more interviews than I can count, they've actually brought up the bad vocal impressions, which means somebody has actually looked at the last page of my resume. I can't believe you have more than one page. <laughs> I'm in the industry 35 years. I've always believed that it's one page per 10 years. Yeah, that's that's generally... I, I try to, if at all possible, you want to go for one page, but... I definitely think there's something to the the fact if you have if you have a bunch of experience that is relevant to what you're applying to, like yeah, going beyond a page is okay if you've got yeah like a couple decades plus. Um, yeah, it's broken up into the concept of the first page and a half is the relevant experience. Then I get into here are the here is the list of buzzwords, just for your HR scanners to hit the buzzwords. Then I get very sneaky and I have another section of buzzwords that say, these are technologies I have no experience in. Please don't hire me for. <laughs> and another list of buzzwords. <laughs> and I'm very good at now editing out the number of uh, automated things that I get on the basis of, did you actually read my, my, my resume? So you have like a whitelist and a blacklist yeah. on your resume? Yeah. But probably the HR scanners are looking at the blacklist as well and thinking that you're appropriate for that. Is that not true? It is absolutely true. I have gotten more .NET uh, development offers than, I, than I, I really want. But I mean, nonetheless, I also, I don't know. I, I've kept the same resume now for about 10 years with just the little tweaks every, every job. And... <clears throat> 
And Indeed and other sites like that are constantly filling my bucket. Yeah, and I, I think there's like different different approaches that are relevant depending on where you are in your career, right? Because if, if you're like brand new to tech or, or brand new to development, you're gonna want, it's a lot more important what your resume looks like and how easily it's scanned by one of those those systems, right? Whereas if you're more, like if you're further along in your career, you're more senior, you're gonna be able to essentially, like you usually you're gonna go through like people you know in your network, uh, get refer- direct referrals or recruiters are gonna reach out to you. A lot of the time your resume is just like a formality where like they've already looked at your stuff on LinkedIn uh, or, or they just kind of know about you and then the, yeah, the recruiter needs the resume on file or whatever. Uh, so it's a little bit of a different, uh, different take, uh, d- different, I guess the stakes are higher depending on where you are in your career as far as like how your resume is formatted. Okay, so what if you are new? So it sounds like for people just coming out of a boot camp or just coming out of school or just, you know, trying to get into this, maybe even without those, that experience, what should that person's resume look like? How do they pass the automated scan and actually end up in front of a human who might then email them? I think, Susanna, what I would give as advice to that person is to not try to game the scanners because they're not going to make it through. Um, So instead, try to go through people. Um, That would be my biggest advice, to try to find alumni from your college, to try to find like second degree connections on LinkedIn, like definitely make a LinkedIn to start off with. Um, Even though that might not be the place where developers hang out at the beginning, it is definitely where, you know, hiring managers and recruiters hang out. Um, So make a LinkedIn, um, see who works at the companies that you work at, uh, stalk them a little bit on Twitter and other profiles, Uh, reach out to them either on a Twitter DM or on LinkedIn with something recent that they talked about and you liked to make a personal connection and just like reach out, maybe not even think about like looking for a job to start building your network and hopefully build it out before you absolutely need the job. Um, talk to these people, see how it's like to work there and then bring it up. Like similar to how that girl uh, who decided, who messaged me did it. Um, I think that could work the best way. Uh, and one other thing I also always mention to college students who are asking for advice because I do often go back and speak um, as an alumni to Grinnell College at, you know, um, things like that. So I tell them like, you know, people want to help students. Like, they really want to help them because they were in that position at some point. So while you're a student, you will most, like, that's the time when you'll most likely get help from someone um, because they feel they feel the pressure. Uh, and if they were at the same college or the same school, like, even more so. Um, but the, the, the one thing that none of these students ever think about is the fact that there are referral bonuses that exist at most companies. So really, it's not that you're just, you know, they're doing you a favor, you're also potentially doing them a favor because they might get a referral bonus for you. So don't think about it as like, oh, this you know person is doing you know such a huge thing for me. You could also be doing a thing for them. So it goes both ways. That's a really good point about how it can be mutually beneficial if you, you know, if you end up working at the, the contacts company. 
So Jeff, what do you what do you tell newbies, especially like the people coming out of the boot camp that you worked with? How do what should they do to their resume to shine? So I think probably like the top things that I would recommend, uh, you know, one for sure is like keep it to a page and focus on, I mean, a, another big thing I think is, is that you should try to tailor it or you should definitely tailor it to any specific job that you're applying to because typically like you're going to have some experiences that are a little more relevant to a particular company than others. And so pushing that up, uh, pushing that bullet point up to the top is, is going to be a good advantage. Uh, and so, uh, like for instance, you know, I, I'll, I have like three different template versions of my resume that are kind of towards different things I might be interested in if I'm in the middle of a job search and, and, you know, even beyond that, I'll, I'll tweak those a little bit. Uh, and then I think another thing I typically like is to have a really concise summary at the top that sort of explains who you are, but also especially focuses on what you have to offer. And so, because that's, you know, you're looking at people potentially that are just like going through a, a huge list of resumes and like spending just a few seconds on each one, right? So that's the first thing they're gonna read. And so you want that to be compelling enough that they wanna look a little further. And then beyond that, you know, for people that are brand new, uh, I think one of the more important things more than what you actually put on the resume is the work you have to do to get things to put on there. So uh, of course this is, uh, depends on people's individual circumstances, but you know, if if you want to get a job doing iOS development, you need to do some iOS development first. So really, uh, like one of the best things you could do is is build an app. Like either you know throw it up at open source or ideally put it on the store. Just having that is huge because it shows that you understand end to end the process, and you can call out like some of the basic things that you worked on there that are probably going to be relevant to a lot of jobs. Hopefully you kind of tailored the sort of app you did towards uh, the market you're looking to get, uh, you know, the types of jobs you're looking to get. So having that kind of experience. So that was going to be my my right away follow up and you're starting to answer, which is really interesting because it's not necessarily the answer I have heard from others. So do you think you should look to see like, oh, I might want to work here. I might want to work there and then plan what kind of app you want to write. So you use your, your hoped for sector, your hoped for actual employer as like. Not necessarily, I, especially when you're starting out, odds are you're not going to be able to be super choosy about exactly which company you want to work at. Right. But let's say you have an interest in a specific industry, um, then that's also something you're interested in building and it'll be engaging for you to do. So I think like the first thing is it has to be something that's interesting to you. And and like truthfully, I mean, a lot of people probably might, might be into like writing a game. That's a fun right. thing to do, right? But that's probably not gonna have as much value if you're applying to work uh, on like in the finance industry on a banking app, right? It still shows you have the skills, but if you were to write something, you know, even uh, 
it doesn't even really matter what the subject matter is, but just uh, like like that example of like a Pokemon listing. They, just one of those things with like an open API that you can easily consume. And as long as you can show like, hey, I made a network call, I displayed some stuff on a table view. There you go. That's like 90% of most iOS jobs. So ideally- well, you're you just... making it sound so scintillating. <laughs> um, yeah, maybe a little. <laughs> There's an old adage in the theater uh, world, do not audition with a song from the musical you're auditioning from. Um, and and I think that it parallels that idea of if you are really interested in a company, trying to replicate what they do as an example of your work is going to fall short on the basis of you don't necessarily know how they've architected, how they've engineered. Um and you're basically solving a problem they've already solved. But if you go off and you do something unique to you, it shows off your talents. And that's that that literally is from the theatrical director's point of view, not from an engineering point of view. You you want to show off your talents. Yeah. Plus, they might have a lot of um, a lot of opinions about um, that specific industry and a lot of knowledge. So they'll look at it and be like, ah, oh, you know, I've seen this before. I've seen all the problems. So maybe maybe better not to like tailor it specifically because just what Jeff said, like you have to be interested in it because then you'll talk with passion about what you're doing and that really shines through and that's what you want yeah and i will i would say anecdotally like i so i built a couple of apps that were like personal health related and uh those led to like really good discussions and interviews with healthcare companies because even though i wasn't like doing exactly what they were doing and like i mean i didn't have uh you know it wasn't like some enterprise grade application, but it still, you know, led to things like, hey, so did you use HealthKit for this? And, you know, what what sort of issues did you run into here? And it just, it's mostly the fact that it shows you have some interest because showing passion for the, the job that you're applying to is super important. And if you spent the time to build apps that are kind of in that industry, I think that's a huge, uh, like, that's a huge benefit. It gets you kind of in the good graces of people that are chatting with you and maybe catches a hiring manager's attention. Yeah. I mean, it's sincere. Like if you, you know, if you're applying for a bunch in healthcare and you actually don't really care about it, that's, that's not going to be a good match for you even, you know? So, okay. The very basics, right? Show you can make a network call, show you can do something with the data that's returned. What else is on that list of very basics when you're thinking about, well, what kind of apps should I make? What are things that you definitely right now today need to demonstrate you can do? I just wanted to quickly interject and say that if you want to achieve this basic networking call and show off something, you can definitely try out the Ray Vanderlick app um, challenge that we put together um, and try to replicate the app that we have because um, we have a couple of people who have done it, uh, created a pull request to it, plus the app is entirely open. And then we also have a video of um, two of these apps being submitted and then reviewed by um, two of our great members and what they did well and what they didn't. So it could be a great like review. Thank you. What a great plug. I haven't even looked at that content. That sounds really cool. Yeah. And so so um, to, to answer your question, Susanna, the, uh, I think, I mean, it, it's a little bit, 
there's not like a, a right or wrong answer on this one, but uh, you know, depending on the types of jobs you're looking for, I guess if you're just kind of looking for uh, to cast the widest net possible, then yeah, minimally some sort of networking because that's in the vast majority of apps you're going to look at. Uh, ideally, some kind of data persistence because that's another one that you're going to probably use in whatever job you go to. Um, being able to cache things. Um, let's see. Use a table view or a collection view. <laughs> yeah, basically, you know, yeah, basic UI kit stuff. Uh, and honestly, if you're interested in Swift UI, I think that's fine too. Uh, I think if you're building like only one app today, I would probably go to UI kit, but this is a whole debate. <laughs> Um, <laughs> I was going to say that's so interesting, and I was certain you were going to say the opposite. So yeah, it, it yeah, we're kind I of mean, in a... there, there's an interoperability now where you can have a little bit in Swift UI, a little bit in UI Kit. So maybe that's the way to go. Like do a little bit of both to show that you can do it, <laughs> and to show that you can have them work together. I mean, that, exactly. Yeah, that that's sounds like, really that's valuable. That's a huge achievement in its own. I think when I was applying, the the question was Objective C plus Swift. Uh, <laughs> make those work together. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Uh, but yeah, I, I think those are really the basic things. Just, uh, you know, that you can do some UI stuff. Uh, you want to show that you paid some attention to accessibility. Uh, make sure that that's implemented and call that out if, if you're asked about it. Uh, and then, yeah, beyond that, just... Unit tests. Uh, that's a good point, too. Yep. Good point. Good point. While we're at it, we're talking about careers and career strategy, and we mentioned journey way early on. Let, let's pull back on that one. Leah, can you talk about journey? Yeah, certainly. So, um, yeah, I am now the CEO of a company called Journey. Um, we're just in the middle of our angel race, and um, our mission is to make career coaching more affordable and accessible and scalable and help people find more clarity and confidence in their career strategy and have better conversations with their managers. Um, so it really kind of all started because of my experience with um, switching roles. So I started off as an iOS engineer. Um, I moved into product and then I wasn't quite sure if I should go back to engineering to product so I switched a couple of times uh, throughout the next couple of years and that was because my first um, role in product was very didn't really have a lot of support essentially when I switched and I suddenly had this big team I had to lead um, and no one to help guide me um, and with engineering you know there's a lot of um, communication and feedback you get on your work all the time because people are reviewing your code and pull requests and you know you're talking you're pairing and suddenly I was just alone um, so I had a lot of anxiety and imposter syndrome um, on how to navigate this new career path. And I ended up getting a career coach. I was super skeptical about it. But um, we got together for three months um, and she really helped me get that clarity and confidence in how to take my career to the next level, what are my next steps, and to really be like, to own it, essentially. 
but I paid four thousand dollars for that, wow. <laughs> um, which is an insane amount of money. And um, at that point, I was thinking to myself, there are so many people in my network because I like I was spending time mentoring people, um, younger people in their careers that could benefit so much out of this. But career coaching is so like reserved for the individuals at the top, the like, exec level people, right? Um, so what can we do to bring that down, <laughs> to bring that to all the levels, right? Because everyone, I believe, deserves a coach. Um, so yeah, we um, created with my like EdTech experience really kind of took the top career coaches that we identified and top materials that exist out there um, and put it into a learning course that is getting delivered on Slack and bite-sized uh, information. So each day you'll get a little bit um, of knowledge and an activity over Slack uh, and then you'll complete it. We currently have one course called Find Your Way to Work. It takes you through seven modules, takes about three months to complete. Um, and yeah, people are really enjoying it so far with the early 30 uh, users we have on the platform. <laughs> That sounds really cool. Okay, so for everybody listening who's like, ooh, I want to get those Slack messages, how do they do it? Uh, yeah, you can sign up to our waitlist. Uh, it's on jrny.space. So if you visit our web website and just put your email in, we'll let you know once we are ready to onboard more people. And um, we'll include that in the, in the show notes. And now you said, okay, when you did this, when you... Uh, jumped past the skepticism and went for hiring a career coach, you spent four grand on it. Um, so what can people expect to spend on Journey? So Journey is obviously trying to get all of this good stuff at a much lower price point. So currently we're still in like an iterative process. So we are charging 19 pounds per month. I think that ends up being around $25 a month. Um, so if you complete the program in three months, that takes about $75 uh, for the whole thing. That's that's definitely better than 4,000. <laughs> Yeah, that's really cool. We wish we had more time to fit everything in for this interview, but if you want to see everything we said and not just hear it, you can watch the whole episode on YouTube in just a few weeks. Leah and Jeff, I cannot thank you both enough for joining us on the show. And I know that it's scheduling to get everybody on the same time at the same place is very difficult when we're cut across four different time zones here. Uh, I really, really appreciate your time. Thank you for both coming on the show. Yeah, this was really fun. Pleasure. Thanks for having me. You can find Leah on Twitter at Hello Sunshine. That's uh, H-E-L-L-O-S-U-N-S-C-H-E-I-N. Jeff is Jeff Rames on Twitter. Suze is on as Suze Gupta. And I am Podcast Drew. Coming up in our next episode in about two weeks, Brian Kafitz will bring us up to speed on what we should know about Flutter today and how where we can learn a little bit more. Two weeks after that, Renan Diaz will be joining us to talk about the upcoming book, Real World iOS by Tutorials. And if you have any questions for Renan, you can email him at, or us at podcast at raywenderlich.com. And we'll make sure to bring those questions up during the, uh, during the podcast. In the meantime, that is it for the show. I thank Jeff and Leah one more time. I could not do the show without Susanna Skyer Gupta 
Gupta, who helps me in the background and in the foreground every episode. I am Podcast Drew. We send things back to the Emerald Castle. Ray, back to you. And that's a wrap. Thanks again, everybody, for listening to the RayWenderlich.com podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. See you next time. <laughs>